The start of the new sugar beet campaign is getting very close. How's the crop looking? Well, at the moment, the crop's looking really good. If you compare it to this time last year, it, it was exceedingly yellow, whereas now it's very green. And I must say, one of the best looking crops we've had for a number of years. We'll hear from British Sugar and a beet grower this morning and what to do with that difficult land. How about Miscanthus? It's been uh, possibly the best decision I've made since I've been making <laughs> decisions on the farm. It's proving worthwhile for one Lincolnshire farmer. We'll hear more in part two. Plus a potato update, agronomy, the markets and the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you've had a good week. A global glyphosate shortage has triggered warnings for farmers to review their autumn requirements for the world's most widely used herbicide. Logistics problems and staff shortages due to the pandemic, plus raw material shortages and weather events in China, the world's largest glyphosate producer, have meant that supply has struggled to keep up with demand and some prices have increased by 70 to 100% since the start of the year. Jeremy Clarkson has won praise from many people by adding his considerable support to the NFU's Back British Farming campaign, which is seeking a pledge from the government that Britain's food production will not be allowed to slip below its current level of 60% self-sufficiency. Indeed, he feels that 60% is already too low and we should aim for closer to 80%. The government's first review of domestic food security is expected later this year and in an open letter to DEFRA Secretary George Eustace, which already has almost 29,000 signatures, the NFU explains that UK food self-sufficiency has slipped from 78% in 1984 to 60% last year. And the Driver and Vehicle Standards Agency, the DVSA, has confirmed that drivers who pass their car test after January 97 will again be able to tow a trailer of up to 3.5 tonnes without taking a separate test. Good news, although safety concerns have been raised by some training organisations, don't tow a trailer without being trained how to do it, I would say. To the fields then, Sean Sparling's here with an agronomy update in a few minutes and we'll talk sugar beet after a look at the state of play potato-wise. Colin Jackson from PJP Potatoes. Good morning. Morning, Steve. Um, yeah, things are still a little bit up in the air. There's still several spuds to to come in. You know, storage is really just sort of getting started now. Um, so that we're still sort of selling uh, what we class as green top potatoes, so straight sort of harvested out of the field and, and into bags and away or into boxes. Um, but uh, people are also now starting to think about concentrating on putting stuff into store for the rest of the year. Has all the issues that we've heard of staff shortages, transport problems, etc., etc., affected you? Yes, yes, I think it's affecting everybody, mm. isn't it? Um, particularly at times like this, actually. I mean, when we're trying to, to do sort of harvesting into to bags, for instance, to go onto markets and that kind of thing, as well as trying to lift into store. That's where we're finding problems. So people are having to make a choice of really they've got one gang and they can do one or the other, whereas traditionally they would be able to get two gangs in and be able to do both jobs. People are not getting onto storage as soon as they would like. And on the flip side, it is limiting the supply for the fresh market currently. Don't want to start panicking people or anything like that, but we've heard issues of shortages of various things. Are we looking at any difficulties as we approach Christmas? I think we're likely to see less of an impact than certain sectors, but certainly on our fresh produce into supermarkets, we're likely to see some issues. The other advantage that spuds have got over certain other products is, of course, we've got a fairly long shelf life. So, 
you can pre-plan a lot better than you can with fresh veg and fruit and that kind of thing. So yes, we will be affected, we'll be affected, but to a smaller extent than I think some other sectors. OK, well, let's keep fingers crossed for the roast taters with the turkey on Christmas Day. How's the crop looked and how are prices doing? Yeah, everything looks a sort of a bit of an average kind of year at the moment. Prices are relatively good. You know, they're all right. It, it could be better. It could be worse. You know, we're pretty much in the middle. The bottom end of the market is down at sort of £120 a tonne. But we are also paying up to £350 a tonne for King Edwards for export, for instance, at the moment. Uh, there's a good premium to be had for those. The same with with yields. You know, we're seeing certain varieties are yielding particularly well, but other varieties not as well as you would hope, you know, down to those cold days we had in the spring, having a knock-on effect right the way through the growing season. Great stuff, Colin. Thank you very much for your update once again. Have a good day. And you. Thanks, Steve. As we approach the start of the new sugar beet campaign, how's the crop looking? We'll hear from Lincolnshire grower Andrew Ward in a moment, but first, good morning, Tessa Seymour from British Sugar, celebrating a big anniversary at Newark this year. We are indeed, as we're coming into this campaign, we are marking Newark's 100 sugar beet campaign. So the factory has actually been open since 1921. A lot of it is still um, the original part, but in that time, we've processed almost 100 million tonnes of sugar beet and produced 15 million tons of sugar. We've seen about 4,000 people working on site over the last 100 years. Wow. Uh, a lot of them have been families who've had several generations working together. Um, so it's brilliant. Um, and obviously we'll keep investing in the sites um, because it's, uh, well, it's certainly my favourite factory, isn't it? Well, it would be, wouldn't it? I mean, if my sort of rudimentary maths, that gives uh, a sugar content of 15%. Perfect, isn't it? It's perfect, as well, in my opinion. How are we looking in terms of campaign start date? New Week will be starting this Tuesday on the 21st of September. Uh, we will be open on Monday as well from um, just 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And that's just if anybody wants to send um, loads in to have test runs, all they need to do is contact their contract manager and they can organise that um, for them. Uh, but otherwise, we'll be open from Tuesday onwards. And we're open from 5 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, seven days a week for the deliveries. And I gather you've applied for a Neonics emergency authorisation application for next year. Yes, we've done it again. So we've submitted that. Um, and the expectation is, is hopefully we'll hear it um, in the next couple of months. Um, and then we'll be able to process all the seed orders uh, and get that out to uh, growers for them to make a decision on what they'd like to do. OK, so of course we didn't have to use it last year, did we? No, uh, we didn't, which was great news, actually, because I think that's uh, far better to have a colder winter to deal with aphids. And and the um, derogation was applied in the same mechanism as uh, last year as well. So, again, we'll monitor the weather and the aphid counts, and then they'll, we'll see whether we hit the threshold in order to apply neonics or not. All right. You'll let us know when, when you know, I'm sure. Most definitely <laughs> will be. All right. Tessa, thank you very much. Good luck with the new campaign. Thank you so much. And just want to wish all the um, growers, contractors and haulers the very best for a uh, safe and successful um, campaign. All right, Tessa. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks. Take care. Andrew Ward from Lincolnshire. You grow sugar beet. How's the crop looking at the moment? Well, at the moment, the crop's looking really good. If you compare it to this time last year, it, it was exceedingly yellow and a lot of damage from the aphids, whereas now it's very green and I must say, one of the best-looking crops we've had for a number of years. Now, you've been doing a trial with British Sugar. What has that involved, Andrew? Well, every year, British Sugar select a few fields for their test digs. 
and they need to know roughly what the potential of the crop is around the area and around the country. And so they, they selected one of our fields on our, on our heavy soils. So they, they come in and they take roots away, they measure the size of the roots and they check uh, the roots for sugar content. Uh, which, of course, is one of the major things we get paid on. And how is the sugar looking? Because that's obviously going to influence when you start lifting, isn't it? We always try and lift early because we're on heavy land, and obviously our soil's a lot of clay content. If we leave it too late in the ground, it will get too wet and we struggle getting it out. So at the moment, though, I understand the last test of our beet crop was last week, and our sugars are 18.4%. Now, that actually is a really good sugar level because... Sugar builds with sunlight and sun. And as you know, we had three weeks in August with virtually no sun at all and very low cloud and low temperatures. And so that, I thought, would massively affect the sugar content, but it doesn't look to have done. So when do you plan to start lifting? The problem we've got at the moment is the ground is so hard and dry and it's whether the harvesters can actually get the sugar beet out the ground without snapping it off and leaving some of the root in the soil, which we have had in previous years. So, so it's a bit of an unknown at the minute. I'm going to look next week and, and have a dig myself and see, but it, it won't be long. Within the next two weeks, I think we'll be going. So we could do with a little bit of the wet stuff to soften the ground up, really, couldn't we? we? We could. That's right. Obviously, we've got to think about everybody else still trying to finish any harvesting off. But yes, um, the 10 mil of rain we had has done some good but I don't think it's got down enough to make lifting sugar beet a bit easier. Andrew, thanks once again for joining us on the Farming Programme. Lovely, pleasure, Steve. We'll have regular updates through the campaign. A reminder, Newark reopens from this Tuesday, the 21st. As we move from harvesting to planting, time to get some agronomy advice from Sean Sparling now. A bit better weather all round this week. Good morning, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. I know what a difference seven days makes. Not only have we had some decent weather then in the last seven, ten days to finish the straw harvest, we've also had some desperately needed rain that's finally starting off some of these dry rape seeds in these dry rape seed beds that dried out on some of the heavier land. Um, Cotlead and rape all over the, the bone dry fields that we've had up until now and it feels like after the heat of last week that autumn is suddenly dropping down upon us we've got single digit temperatures overnight misty dewy mornings and all of the cultivations are seemingly firming firmly focused on getting next year's cereal harvest in the ground so the slugs and cabbage stem flea beetle then seem to be both in ascendance in all seed rate um it makes sense that you stay ahead of them rather than trailing in their wake. Get your slug traps out, regular monitoring, crucial. Um, seed beds are dampened, so it's perfect conditions for slugs. And cabbage stem flea beetle, do keep your eyes open and assume absolutely nothing. And also, by the way, it's important not to keep applying insecticides to these crops, not just because of the damage you'll do to the beneficials, and if you're having little effect on the pest itself, there's no point in multiple applications, but also because... You, you don't want to be treating the same damage all the time. You know, monitor the new growth in oilseed rake. Those cotyledons and leaves that have already been damaged and the older leaves, etc., they're not going to heal. It's not going to go away, that damage. So monitor the new growth. Pigeons as well have now found my rake field. So my bangers, crashers, squealers, flashers, kites, whizzers, everything else at the ready now, I think. I think that's best. Um, the rain has been very, very variable uh, anyway, to say the least, I think, this week and over the last 10 days or so. I took nine and a half millimetres of rain on Tuesday. Lincoln took closer to 15 mil and some areas around 
down the Sleaford Way, they were taking closer to 30 mil. But Poolham, last Thursday and Friday, just before last week's farming programme, when I took around 4 millimetres total on that Thursday, they took 46 millimetres of rain over the two days. Very, very variable then, this, this rain. But that seems to be how it is these days. Climate change, I suppose, but it seems to be relatively settled rain-wise for the foreseeable. So we take what we get weather-wise, as we always do. Cultivations, as I say, well underway ahead of wheat, barley, rye drilling, which will start this week, I think, on some of my farms. Non-black grassland only, I hasten to add. And with high levels of dormancy in the black grass seed population this season, it's going to be a week or four before we get any meaningful chits. So please do be patient. Our armoury is okay against black grass, but delaying that drill well into October is going to do far more good than a few cans of pre-em jollop, whatever its persuasion. A few supply issues as well, particularly with glyphosate. Um, so planning, not just planning product onto your farm, but also planning the doses that you're going to apply. That's going to need careful consideration. Cultural controls like delaying those drills will be invaluable this year as every other. But with that additional bonus of supply issues with glyphosate, it may become far more important also do bear in mind that earlier drilled wheat has a much higher exposure to aphids and diseases barley yellow dwarf virus in particular when it comes to aphids so perhaps a bydv tolerant variety like wolverine might be in order at this stage of the drilling season for the next 10 days or so and also be prepared for a, a, a huge increase in disease pressure on earlier drilled varieties of wheat no matter what their ratings really best to check those varieties as well that you've got chosen for their suitability to early sowing because although technically true early sowing is before the 15th of September I think it's fair to say that this is still early for the next 10 days or so for so for example spotlight firefly gleam lily siskin good early drillers they don't get away too quickly um, they've got reasonable uh, disease profiles in terms of yield they're pretty good drilled early but Xtase, Skyscraper, Saki, Incitor, Kerin, they're going to perform much, much better for you when they're later drilled. It's worth noting as well that even though varietal ratings may be good, for example, Firefly, which has a yellow rust rating of nine, last spring we saw the earlier drillings of Firefly absolutely full of yellow rust at the T0 timing. So again, assume nothing, talk to your advisor about it. Where wheat is going in, remember we've lost the HBNs now, so products like Cyclops are no more, and therefore give pre-emergence herbicides a little more thought than perhaps you have in previous years because particularly if your weed spectrum means that a lack of product choice is going to leave gaps in the post-emergence herbicide armory and also remember that pre-emergence herbicides are always going to work best when you put them onto a fine firm even clod free preferably rolled seedbed when you get them on within three or four days of drilling particularly when it comes to things like black grass not quite so important when it comes to broad leaf weeds but definitely before the weeds chit if you possibly can and they always work better when you choose an active ingredient that is capable of dealing with the weed spectrum that you have in hand also they must be applied carefully and in the right conditions um, you know don't go drilling them in the rain you wouldn't do that with a fungicide and you need to treat these pre-em herbicides with kid gloves as if they are fungicides treat them as importantly as you would anything else that you apply don't when it comes to black grass by the way drill a field 
drill another field, drill another field, go back to them 10 days later, get your pre-em on. If you're dealing with blackgrass situations, drill a field, spray a field, that's it. Because if it's blackgrass that's the target, you've got to get those products on before the blackgrass starts to chit. And by the way, glyphosate is always going to be the best pre-em you're going to put on. So the drill tractors are revving up. I'm fairly sure common sense is going to hurt out of the window with a, a loud whooshing sound once these easy fields are in the ground and we see black grassland dry and enticing us in at the end of September. But do bear in mind, when your agronomist urges restraint on black grassy fields, they're not trying to be difficult. They're trying to protect you from yourself. So I'm off to walk some rape fields and let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks, Sean. That's Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services, who can be contacted via his website, sasagronomy.co.uk. What to do then with that difficult land? Keep trying and accept poor yields? Rewild it? How about a crop that not only draws down carbon, it thrives on less productive land and helps to improve soil health and stability? Let's hear about Miscanthus from Lincolnshire grower Adam Bradshaw. Adam, just to start with, give us a little bit of background. You've made some changes to what you're growing on the farm. Firstly, what were the problems that you're facing? Why did you need to make changes? We're on a um, sort of low-lying, heavy clay farm, which is typically pretty wet and, and prone to herbicide-resistant blackgrass. So it, it just gets harder and harder every year to establish a profitable wheat crop. And then added to that, with the loss of neonicotinoids, we can no longer grow oilseed rape. So we've not grown any oilseed rape since 2006. 17 just because it's 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 just impossible to get any sort of viable crop off so adam what did you do about it in 2019 we planted uh, approximately 50 acres of miscanthus and it's uh, yeah it's been uh, possibly the best decision i've made since i've been making <laughs> decisions on the farm well i mean it's always good to hear that a decision goes right just tell it what is miscanthus and why have you decided to grow that well it's a tropical grass that produces canes which are um, very high in energy as i understand it when they put it in the power station and burn it for producing electricity it's a, it's a very straightforward process for, for me growing it. it it grows like a grass so basically you plant it and then it grows every year you cut it in the spring and that's pretty much all we do there's no fertilizer no chemicals no cultivations once it's planted it just keeps growing and you keep cutting it and and that's pretty much it so it's a perennial crop. What kind of life cycle are you expecting from it? The contract we have with Terra Vesta is for 10 years. So we plant in year one. We had our first harvest in year two. So we'll expect nine harvests on the contract. But many growers are looking at 15 to 20 years on established crops. So um, we're certainly hoping for sort of 12 to 15 years before we have to make a decision um, what to do with the fields in the future our crops aren't fully mature yet so they, they take typically about four years to reach their maximum size and, and density i mean ours, ours this year are, to, are about 12 13 feet high they should get a little bit higher than that once they reach the the maximum maturity in a couple of years time and how about money is it a financially viable crop adam Yes, so it's an it's a expensive crop to establish. There's no getting away from that. But what we're looking at at the moment is around about the fourth harvest, we should be in decent positive cash flow. So 
it'll take us three harvests to pay back the establishment costs and then we're into cash in and, and like I say because the inputs to the crop are pretty well zero it works quite well as, as de-risking the business as we move forward with no subsidies and so on it certainly looks like a, a good decision. And you're offering an invitation for other farmers to come and have a walk around your farm and take a look. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Terra Vesta, they, they tend to run one a year at a different grower. I think given how well our crops have established, and we've not only got our crops that were established in 2019, we've also planted a further 40 acres this year. So uh, I think Terra Vesta are just inviting people to come down, have a look, ask some questions, and hopefully sign up some new growers, which um, is, is something I would encourage. So how does the relationship with Terra Vesta work then? What do they provide and what do you put into it? I, I don't put an awful lot into it at all. Obviously, we have to arrange contractors to come and cut the crop and bale the crop. Terra Vesta arrange the rhizomes to, to arrive on farm. They then provide all the marketing. So they sell the crop into the power station at Brig. They arrange the haulage and then they pay us for what we produce. So in terms of time and effort for me, it's really quite negligible, really. Adam, lovely. Thank you for that. I wish you all the best with your crop and your farm walk at the end of September. Thanks for joining us. Okay, thank you very much. If you fancy joining Adam for a walk around his farm, the Terra Vesta Miscanthus Farm Walk is on the 30th of September between 10 and 12. Bookings for the farm walk can be made at terravesta.com slash events. To the markets we go now. How they've been performing this week, here's Open Fields' Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. Another USDA monthly report is now behind us, and to sum up, it was not as bearish as the bears would have hoped for. Most of the expected changes to the global wheat and maize balance sheets were made and therefore largely priced into the market before the USDA report was released. Whether the expectation matches the reality, however, is another question altogether. The much-debated US maize yield and area resulted in the USDA increasing the area by 600,000 acres. Less than expected, but more surprisingly, they increased the yield, having dropped it last month. The irony is that early anecdotal reports are that yields in the east, which were expected to make up for the drought-stressed crops in the west, are disappointing due to disease. The USDA also still overstating the Brazilian maize crop, which will push more demand their way, and the combination of a lower US crop and additional export demand will necessitate demand rationing, which can only mean higher prices can be achieved. Global milling wheat availability continues to shrink, with Canada lowering their production by another 1.2 million metric tonnes, with potential for more cuts to come. Reports from the Russian spring wheat abandonment and the French Agmin report only 32% of their crop making 76 bushel and a drop of 600,000 tonnes in their crop size. But on a brighter note for the French, it is reported that the earlier sales to China have been renegotiated down to 75 bushel weight from 77 and that they have sold an additional unspecified amount of feed wheat to China who appear to be showing fresh interest following the recent drop in prices. So moving forward to barley this week, UK values continue to see support from good free on-board values which are keeping domestic consumers on their toes. With European crops coming in below the expected yield and quality, we have seen continued inquiries for the UK. This has helped maintain values, albeit with some variants across the country, in line with the slightly firmer British pound. With the focus on finishing off harvest and groundwork front and centre for growers at present, we continue to see a steady flow of samples coming through the lab. With results holding up well, nearby movement slots are also being booked as a pace to take advantage of MAGB terms that domestic molsters are still offering. Oilseed rate this week, markets continue to move higher with futures moving again to contract highs. 
Domestic crush values have followed the futures higher with fundamentals unchanged. Data released this week have seen the StatsCan report reveal that the canola crop of 12.8 million tonnes, which was nearly 2 million tonnes below the August number and 1 million tonnes below the expected stock levels, is also now moving lower. This was balanced out with talk of the Australian crop, which will be close to a record 5 million tonnes and hence should be able to mop up some of the export homes that Canada would usually serve. However, the Canadian crop news will linger over the market for a long time to come. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for September is 179 to 181. November, 185 to 187. February, 189 to 191. May, 191 to 194. And milling wheat premiums are circa £30. Barley for September is 166 to 169. Moving forward to November, a good rise to 175 to 177. February, 178 to 180 and May 181 to 183. Malting premiums for a 185 nitrogen are 28 to 32 pounds. Oilseed rate for September 492 to 495, November 497 to 500, February 500 to 503, and May 503 to 506. Many thanks as ever. Kit Dickinson from Openfield. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Rain around today, but a mostly dry week to follow. Light winds from the southeast today. Heavy rains expected until the early hours. Highs of 19 Celsius into a drier Monday with pressure building through the middle of the week. Calm with highs around 18 Celsius tomorrow. Tuesday, very similar, perhaps a couple of degrees warmer. Warm and sunny on Wednesday with a southwesterly in the mid-teens, dry with highs of up to 22 Celsius. It turns cooler though to end the week, mostly light westerlies and mostly dry with highs in the mid-teens Celsius. Quick congratulations to a Lincolnshire-based family-owned farm that reached a milestone recently by raising money for local wildlife conservation. Vinehouse Farm in Spalding, which includes a 100-acre field of sunflowers, is run by farmer and conservationist Nicholas Watts and his family and has been raising money for the wildlife trusts for the last 14 years. This year, thanks to its mail-order customers, Vinehouse Farm passed a major milestone donating an incredible £2 million through sales of their seeds. Well done all. OK, well, that's it for this week. But before we go, as we approach the end of this year's harvest, I've asked agricultural chaplain Alan Robson if he would kindly give us a blessing. Alan. Creator God, we thank you for the productivity and the fruitfulness of the land of Lincolnshire, who provides so much food for the country. We thank you that they were key workers throughout the COVID pandemic and there was never a shortage. Now we pray that you'd honour the work and the life of farm workers and farmers in our county. And may they find all the future changes open doors for possibilities of new ways of providing for the health of our country. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Alan. I'm Steve Orchard, back next Sunday at 7 or podcast. Just ask your smart speaker to play the farming programme. Have a good week.